0: Hey friends, just a quick reminder before we jump into today's episode that The Nugget is now on YouTube. We have picked some of our favorite moments from the podcast and turned them into four to eight minute long videos. Now you can revisit some of the best clips from the podcast with never before seen content. I'm so excited about how this turned out. I think it's really, really cool. I think you guys are gonna be psyched. Since we just launched at the beginning of February, for the month of February, we are doing a raffle with some of my favorite brands who support the Nugget, and we're giving away a free training bundle worth more than $300. You're gonna walk away with a kilo of chalk and some other goodies from Chalk Cartel, a free hangboard from Frictitious Climbing, and you'll win some of my favorite skincare products from Rhino Skin Solutions, so you can keep your skin in tip-top shape for training and climbing. All you have to do to enter the raffle is subscribe to the YouTube channel and you've got two more days. The deadline is February 28th, so just a couple days remaining. So go sign up while you've got the chance. There's no catch. It's free to enter. All you have to do is click that subscribe button and you will automatically be entered to win the raffle. It's that easy. Just scroll down on your podcast app and click on the link right there that will take you over to YouTube. Tap that subscribe button and you'll be all set. All right, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Rhino Skin Solutions. This stuff is my go-to when it comes to taking care of my skin for climbing. I use the repair cream almost every single night all the time. Sometimes I use it multiple times a night if I'm climbing in a sharp, crimpy area like Waco Tanks or Rocky Mountain or Bishop or Leavenworth. If I come home from a day of climbing and my skin's torn up, I wash my hands and then I apply repair cream several times throughout the evening, and it really does wonders for helping my skin heal faster and getting me back on the rock the next day. If you want to level up your skin game, head over to rhinoskinsolutions.com to check out their great line of products and enter code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order. That's rhinoskinsolutions.com. Use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order. And if you want to learn more about how to use Rhino products, I recorded an episode with founder Justin Brown, who's a friend of mine, way back in episode 22 of the Nuggets, you can go check out that episode to learn more, that's still a great episode. One final time, rhinoskinsolutions.com, use code Nugget at checkout for 20% off the best skincare products in the game. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I started taking Athletic Greens When did I start taking Athletic Greens? Quite a while ago, about a year and a half ago. I sip on it first thing in the morning while I make my coffee and it has become one of my favorite parts of my morning routine. As all of you know, I like to prioritize eating whole foods when it comes to my nutrition, but it can be really hard to get fresh produce and high quality food when you live on the road or when you travel to some of these remote climbing areas that we all love to visit. But here's the deal, one scoop of athletic greens has 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right and to cover the gaps in your nutrition. I think of it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I know that if I take my Athletic Greens in the morning, I'm covered even if I can't get my hands on the highest quality food the rest of the day. I love that peace of mind. To make your decision easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com/nugget again that is athleticgreens.com/nugget to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance right hello friends welcome back to another episode of the nugget climbing podcast another fundamentals episode and today we are talking about how to improve your technique jesse what is an area of your climbing technique that you are working on right now um that i'm working on right now
1: i can't answer honestly because i'm not working on i not working on it right now <laughs> <laughs> But uh, the one that I want to work on right now that I've been talking about a lot in Waco is um, climbing taller. I'm, I'm 5'10 with a plus four ape index. So I basically am tall. I'm not tall, but I'm like, I can kind of climb tall. Um, and we've realized on this trip, my fiance is 5'4 with like a plus point three or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we like keep using the same feet on things. Oh, funny. Because she's like really good at getting extended. Mm. That's like kind of her superpower. And I'm really good at climbing scrunchie. And we keep doing like these big powerful moves and using the same footholds. And I'm like, oh, that was like a big move. And then I see her use the same feet as me. And I'm like, I got to like, <laughs> I got to work on this. <laughs> um, yeah, I have. I think it's because I have good hip flexibility and my arms are long. So if I can like high step and just reach further than it's like feels easier to me than doing like a slightly more like poppy move Mm. lower Um, but that's definitely something I want to work on on the board after this trip for sure Mm -hmm. Um, I would have said like matching holds or like having holds that are like really close to my body like really right in front of my chest but I spent like a, a few months training block like really working on that and I actually got quite a bit better still not amazing at it but prove to myself that I can improve things that I'm like, that I have a physiological
0: deficit for. So mm. um, so yeah, what, what about you? What's something that you're working on right now? I think the, the broad answer, the short answer is roof climbing, um, really steep climbing, um, which is kind of like a coming full circle in a way for me. Um, I was pretty good at that when I started climbing, but that was because I was in Leavenworth and I could kind of get around straight on roof climbing if that makes sense everything was squeezing Mm -hmm. this is very different being in waco climbing in the hurricane climbing in the woman cave like the styles that i'm I'm, i've become really interested in exploring and realizing that i think i have a lot of potential in there's just so many tricks Mm -hmm. so um there's a lot of things i could mention but i you know there's there's so many ways to get more weight on your feet that are really unintuitive or take a lot of practice. You know, weird little bicycles or um, getting better at tricky knee bars or getting better at tricky toe cams and just stuff like that. Yeah. Um, doing a hard move and keeping tons and tons of foot tension at the same time, yeah. where you're kind of like isolating your upper body and your lower body in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And connecting hip to shoulder, which mm-hmm. is something I'm probably going to say 12 times in this podcast. Connecting hip to shoulder. <laughs> yeah. All right. Get ready, folks. <laughs> nice. I'm curious about your answer. How do you think about addressing a skill deficit like that? I mean, not not to get ahead of ourselves, if you want to just go into the tips, but um, knowing that, okay, you've identified this weakness or this... Um, what did what did what did you want to talk about gaps or weak links in your chain or something
1: yeah, that was my yeah, my way of saying kind of the same thing. What's the weakest link in your chain weakest links in your chain yeah. so sort of like if you i guess if you had to climb a boulder that's like at your at a grade that's challenging for you, not like a project grade, but like something you could do in a day and it had like one of every type of move, which mm. doesn't make any sense right <laughs> but like where would the, what would the move be that you would fall on okay, that's good, like for me, it would be like a move where you have to match a really shitty hold probably or a move where you like have to get fully extended for your body and like keep Mm. tension, like really extended. Okay. I'm I'm not very good at
0: that because I have super long limbs and tiny torso. I'm like a daddy long legs basically. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So given that that's something you've identified on this trip, but you're not working on it now because you're here on your trip and you have limited time, Mm -hmm. how are you thinking about addressing that? What does that look like?
1: Um, Well, I can kind of answer that with one of my tips. So I'm gonna try to. Okay. Um, Structuring your technical practice, I think, is a really big part of how to improve your technique. Um, And this is less of one tip and more of just a summary of a bunch of skill development science that I've geeked out on since I've been coaching people. So um, I had different examples in here, but I'll try to relate these back to uh, my climbing tall thing. So I might have to wing it a little bit on some of these, but so you should go from general to specific. So, like, I will, before I, like, go try to do a very hard move with difficult holds that's, like, at a, you know, weird angle with some convexity or something, I'm just going to go to, like, a a barely overhanging wall with basic holds, very general, and I'm going to figure out what it feels like to, like, get that kind of plank tension on that wall. Mm. Right? So very, very general, right? Downward pulling holds, straight up and down feet, like, super low complexity. I'm going to start there, and then I'll slowly add more complexity to it make the walls steeper, make the footholds worse, side poles, Gaston's or whatever. Um, So general general to specific environment should be safe. It should be easy to repeat whatever it is that you're doing. So it shouldn't be like a one-time deal Um, and you should have good immediate feedback. So Mm. you should be able to like film yourself or have someone that you're discussing it with. and at the very least, you should be able to, like, know if you did a good job or not. And sometimes that's kind of pass-fail with climbing, if you, like, do the move or not. So mm-hmm. you want it to be easier than that, preferably, but you still want to get feedback. Uh, and then kind of like the general specific thing, you want to go from less intense to more intense. So the example that I that I used on here actually probably still makes sense. Like, so let me see if I can convert it. So if I had a like a V5 project where I had to keep myself like super duper extended on a foot. I could practice a similar thing on like V2 holds, right? And you have to recognize that the skills are intensity specific. So if I just went in day after day and, and practiced it on V2 holds, I wouldn't actually make myself better at doing it on a V5 or a V8 or whatever. Mm-hmm. I would just become an expert at doing it on a V2. Mm-hmm. You do have to like grade that intensity up. So doing it on V2 a lot would prepare me to do it on V3 and then I could carry that to V4 and onward. And it doesn't perfectly work with the V scale, but I think it kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. The The skill is specific to the intensity, I guess. But so, it still makes sense to start easier and ramp up. And Yeah, exactly. Okay. And graded exposure. Um, and then consistency is the last thing. So I like to try to do like 15 to 20 minutes every day, um, which is really easy in like an off season. Because I climb on my board a lot, so every day I do my off the wall warm up, and then I do like some technical drills, and then I do whatever my climbing session is, and that's it. Just fits it in. Um, some people prefer to do like one session a week. That's a full skill session. Mm-hmm. You know? That's fine too, as long as you're consistent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Should I should I hit those again, real quick? Yeah, yeah. Be General to specific, less intense to more intense, safe environment, repeatable, good feedback,
0: consistency. That was all one tip? That's one tip. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of notes for this one. This might be a longer than than average fundamentals episode. It's going um, be jam-packed. I think this will be a very interesting uh, conversation, actually, because I think you and I, I'm just kind of realizing this, um, I think you and I have pretty different philosophies. Okay. when it comes to how to approach climbing technique. Um, and I know this about you already. I've seen from you sharing videos and and talking about it that you have skill drills that you do, that you spend dedicated time working on movements, on technique, which makes tons of sense. Um, it's really obvious. It's great. I've really never done that. Mm-hmm. I've always taken a more immersive approach. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think it comes down to Um, The intent that I bring to, you know, quote, real climbing, like I'm still doing regular climbing either in the gym or outdoors and getting skill training through very specific intent. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's the angle I'm going to be talking about as far as my tips go. And then sounds like you're talking more about like how to, how to set aside time to explicitly focus on drills.
1: Yeah. Well, I think I think you need some of both, and I don't wanna, I don't wanna jump ahead too far, but uh, one of my pitfalls actually does relate to that. Okay. And I mean, I, I know, I'm sure you have seen videos of me doing technical drills, but there might be like an availability bias there because I record technical drills for my clients when they really mm. need to work on something for a deficit or for a project. Mm. So I record a lot of those and I wind up posting a lot of them, but like the vast majority of my climbing is still just climbing. Okay, great. 10 to 15 minutes at the start of every board session is like, I don't know. Not much. 20% of my off-season climbing or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a small, it's a rounding error Mm -hmm. of the whole year, so.
0: Okay. Great. Um, Should I start my first one? Okay, so my first tip, I started out by writing down like four tips and realized that they were all very, very practical And then I realized that there was one tip that needed to come first because it's relevant to all of them. Mm. So the the number one thing I think for me is what I just touched on is to become really interested in climbing better Mm. and bring that intention to your climbing. And then, um, yeah, again, that tip is relevant for all of my other tips, but I think that is the number one is just get really, really curious, get really interested in becoming a better climber and that mindset that intent will turn all of your climbing into skill training yeah um the opposite of that which is one of my pitfalls is just kind of going through the motions and expecting to get better it's great so i think intent is is kind of the king i think that's the king a, tip yeah. for me it's awesome do you have bullet bullet, point, point, bullet, bullet points point for that tip for me what's that do you have bullet points for that
1: that you want to go through um because i have a similar one that and i have bullet points
0: <laughs> no i don't have bullet points <laughs> <laughs> I just got really nervous that we're not recording. Okay, we're recording. Whew. Okay.
1: <clears throat> so one of my bullet points on this on this tip is um, to be endlessly curious about how you're moving. Hmm. Uh, but the tip is that technique starts with creativity. So where that starts for me is like if you take beta from people or you only watch videos, then you're going to have a hard time improving your technique mm. because it's kind of being spoon-fed to you. You need to actually be wondering what you're doing and what it looks like and whether or not it's efficient. And if someone else is like giving you that information, then it's not going to be as effective for improving your technique. Like somebody somebody telling you, you need to put your hips in the wall more, that's good. But what you want, if you want to improve your technique, is the intuition that your hips need to be more in the mm. wall while you're climbing. That's mm-hmm. good technique, right?
0: Like the, w- the why, understanding the why. Yeah.
1: I mean, they're yeah. both good technique, but one is like a, a more desirable state.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So for me, when I discover like a new movement pattern or a cue that works for me, I try to like take note of that and start looking for other places where I can apply it. Hmm. Um, is that something that you do with all your outside climbing? Um, I'm sure I do. I've never thought about it that way. I've
0: never put it in words. Okay. So that's, that's interesting.
1: Well, I have a, re- I have an example that might great might trigger something. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a few years ago, we were developing like uh, this lava tube near Bend and uh, super powerful, like horizontal climbing. And I had this problem where you had to grab an undercling like out at an angle and then like start moving your body across like a typewriter with that undercling and like continually kind of adjusting on it.
0: Is this horsepower?
1: It's not horsepower. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, a lot of, there's a lot of undercling roofs in, in Bend. Yeah. Uh, it's actually called pangalactic gargle blaster. <laughs> It's, a ri- it's, a, it's an insanely cool problem. Um, but I, I learned that if I supinated my hand, and if you're listening, the easy way to remember supinated is it's like you're holding a bowl of soup. Mm. You can only hold a bowl of soup if you're supinated. Palm up. If nice. you're pronated, you spill the soup. Um, so if I kept supinating my hand, like twisting my pinky up towards my torso and kept bringing my elbow closer to my waist, as I adjusted on the undercling, I had a lot more power. Mm. Whereas if I just like let it be out here with my shoulder kind of sloppy, I was like weak on it. And it didn't mean much to me at the time. I was just like, okay, I need to do that on that move. And that makes it stronger. But where it really clicked was later, I was trying this project that's just like a, an arete. Uh We talked about it on the podcast we did, the Monkerette. Um, It has an undercling other hand actually where it's like around the arete and you grab it kind of low and then you have to move your feet up and like choke up on the undercling. And I found that that same cue was like a game changer.
0: Just to clarify, you grab it from a low position. So you're
1: reaching above your head. Yeah, you kind of grab it at like above your ear or above your head. Uh huh. And then you build up into it. Exactly. Okay. And I did the same thing. I realized that I could like supinate and like pull my elbow towards my waist. Mm. And the funny thing is maybe that's just like an obvious thing that people who are good at undercling no under no to do but it clicked it really clicked for me on a horizontal thing and then i found it again on a vertical thing and now like every time i'm holding an undercling i'm like oh am i going to be mm. stronger if i do that little supination and it it's not i'm not always stronger but my body knows to try it mm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. and if i was like on sighting something I'd probably grab an undercling and one of my first instincts would be to like try that little supination and see if it feels stronger, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I mean by like, if you notice a cue, try to like bring it on to the next things that you try. Yeah. Cool. Kind of a rabbit hole.
0: That's great. (laughs) Um, This is kind of funny. So you just talked about creativity being kind of the opposite of being spoon fed beta and watching videos my next tip is to watch climbing videos <laughs> um that I, I have found them tremendously valuable for me personally and if you again the intent thing is is a key here if you watch climbing films or videos with the curiosity with the fascination of like how is this amazing climber moving how how you know, how would it feel to be in that position? Just just noticing little things that they do and really paying attention. It's almost like getting free repetitions. Mm-hmm. It's like getting p- climbing practice without having to lose skin or, you know, drain your energy or whatever. And right. I used to watch climbing videos incessantly. Um, it's not something I do as much anymore. Um, But in my early years, I mean, I just couldn't get enough of climbing. And I think that's a great outlet for that as long as you're, you know, taking care of your kids and getting your work done or whatever else. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I would hangboard, I would hangboard and have a climbing video going and s- <laughs> sometimes get so distracted that I like rested for way too long between sets or whatever, <laughs> which is probably a good thing. Yeah. Um, but I just watched, I just watched climbing films all the time and I would really rewatch and study some of my favorite climbers, you yeah. know, like Jonathan Segrist has put out so many little three minute videos and I would watch him, I would just study one of his ascents you know over and over and over and and look for those little things and then eventually i became too much like well too much he's amazing um i became so slothy and 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 like controlled that i didn't know how to pop i didn't know how to Mm. be explosive so then i got a lot more curious about jimmy webb and how he moves and sure you can kind of go through chapters with it but um but yeah watching climbing videos and you know paying attention to other climbers really being curious about other climbers in the gym, the people right in front of you at the crag. I think that's uh, a really helpful way to get better.
1: Yeah, I don't think that those two tips are opposite mm. at all. I think they they totally work with one another. So maybe I can put a finer point on it. I just don't think you should watch a beta video and assume that that's like what you should do, mm. you know? that's Yeah, that's a good point. And that does have to do with the curiosity piece. So if you're like a not, if you're an uncurious climber, then you're going to watch a video and you're going to sort of assume that that's the beta. Mm-hmm. But if you're approaching it with like a creative, curious mindset, then you'll, wa- you'll watch a bunch of videos and take, those, take all that information to the crag and then figure out what works for you. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I do. I mean, I definitely watch videos. But I can sort of consider it like priming the pump. I don't really consider it to be like the rules of that climb.
0: Right. Nice.
1: Yeah, it's good. Uh, I guess this is, this is one's related, so I'll jump to this one. Um, film yourself incessantly. I already talked about this on our, on our full podcast. Um, but I thought it would be good to talk about why that works and some things to look for. So if you're filming yourself, this is a question I get in consults like all the time. Some things to look for when you're watching your footage, um, especially for, these are kind of more like in the beginner side of things. So pay attention to how close you get to the wall, pay attention to how much weight it looks like you have on your feet. Does it look like you're like standing up really high on your feet and like weighting your arms a lot? Um, Are you creating tension between the primary hand and the primary foot or connecting the hip to the shoulder or are Mm. your arms and your legs like acting as two independent entities Mm. that are like duct taped together? (laughs) Um, can you move your torso in space to accommodate the movement that you're trying to make or are you biased towards keeping your torso vertical? That's the thing that a lot of people really struggle with, which we also talked about on that previous podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people like have this sort of innate habit of keeping their torso like rigidly vertical in space. Right.
0: Yeah, you talked about pitching and rolling and all these different yeah yeah yeah
1: exactly so just pay attention to what your torso is doing let it move with your hips if it needs to um are you moving at a speed where it's possible for you to grab the holds that seems pretty obvious but a lot of good technique in the beginner realm is just like getting close enough to the wall and moving slowly enough that you can grab the holds within a speed that you're capable of grabbing them right so that'll actually get you pretty far Uh, and then along with that, I'd say find a camera setup that works to show you those things. So probably not too close to the wall, probably not too far away, probably not head on, probably not completely from the side. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be somewhere in the middle of both of those, you know, not too far away from the wall and like at a 45 or something that should show you a lot.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then just note anything that looks off or looks inefficient. That's good stuff to like write down or make a mental note of if, you're noticing the same things, make the list regularly. Like you film yourself every day and you're like, Oh, my hips are pretty far away from the wall and this are Oh, my hips are pretty far away from the wall and this overhang. Oh, my hips are pretty far away from the wall and this slab. Like you need to work on getting your hips closer to the wall. Mm -hmm. Right. That's how you figure out what you actually need to work on in your technique. Um, and make sure that when you do that, you, you could drill it like rigorously, like we talked about earlier, or you could just pick things that require you to do whatever that skill is. So if you're like bad at heel hooks, then you can like look for opportunities to do more heel hooks, right? That's pretty obvious. Or like take a, if you're bad at like roof climbing, take a trip somewhere that has a lot of roofs, you know, and just set your expectations accordingly. Mm. Uh, expect to work on those things on like your second and third tier climbs. That's probably part of why you've gotten away with not doing a lot of like hardcore drills, right? Mm. I mean, for starters, you climb to Smith a lot, which I think is just sort of everything is a technical Lesson right, there. Right. Um, but also I think you're pretty good at like noting your anti-style and like hunting those things down, mm-hmm. which I think proficient outdoor climbers do that. It's a very natural way to improve your technique.
0: Yeah. I mean, on that note, you're right. Also, I have the opportunity to kind of use like a full immersion sort of approach. Right. right. Like most of my climbing for the last two years has been focused on steeper areas and working on this so i'm i get to play i get to have fun i get to do cool rock climbs and be working on this just out of sheer volume right and and getting the reps in yeah like 90 minutes of uh
1: 90 minutes of practice in person with a, a technical coach or a technical expert or even just on a problem that's like technically challenging for you is probably better than like 90 days of like drilling it in a vacuum or whatever, right? Same as like mm. with Duolingo, you said the word immersion. So I immediately thought like, you can practice every day on Duolingo, but actually talking to someone who speaks the language is probably more valuable. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cool, I'm gonna share two in a row because- Greedy. My <laughs> I've shared my one and two tips. My fourth tip is to film yourself and review the video between tries, but I wanna set that up. So my third tip um, before that one, is to do perfect repeats mm. and going along with that, to have a circuit of climbs at your home crag. and that can be boulders, that can be routes. Um, and and I'm speaking from my own personal experience, but I think it's a good general recommendation to to do that. And um, you know, something I've talked about in this series a lot already is my amazing trip to Bishop that I had in 2017. And I felt really strong on that trip, but I also felt like I was climbing really well. And I think the reason for that is because I, it's kind of like the getting the macro from the micro, you know, I was so zoomed in and had such intent and quality in my climbing because all I was doing was training on my home wall. So I just removed all of the clutter, all of the fluff I was really focused on a very specific thing, and I was projecting, but I was also doing a ton of perfect repeats. For people listening, if you're not familiar, that just means trying to do a climb, a boulder, or a route over and over until it's perfect in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I would start every session with that. I would climb some, you know, warm ups, and then I would work up to like V seven or eight before I then tried hard, hard, you know, before I tried like a V ten for me. And I was never satisfied with how I climbed the V sevens and the V eights. I always tried to to climb them a little better, a little better. And I think that really high resolution of trying to perfect something that you already are doing successfully, but trying to eke out those little percentages of improvement seemed to translate really well to globally to the rest of your climbing. Mm-hmm. Um And when I went to Bishop for that trip, I had been to Bishop before, but it had been years and I was climbing on a lot of things that I hadn't climbed on much before and I just felt so confident. I felt like I was moving so well and I think that's a big part of of why. Um, To touch on the outdoor thing, you can do the same thing outside. I think there's tremendous value in getting really comfortable running a circuit at your home bouldering area and just having a selection of problems that you've done 50 times each and you've really tried to perfect same at your sport crack you know have have like a second tier warm-up that you've climbed so so many times and really try to perfect it climb it perfectly and once you feel like you've learned what you can from it maybe pick a different one Um, but I think there's a lot of value in that as long as it doesn't keep you too much in your comfort zone that's maybe a caveat there so that's my third tip to do perfect repeats uh, the fourth tip was to film yourself and review the video between tries. So this is kind of adding on to what you just shared. But another thing that I think was a key piece of that training block for me and why I felt like I was moving so well is because I <laughs> I was posting a lot of stuff on Instagram from my home wall because I thought it was cool. I was like proud of this like colorful, cool home wall. And I was kind of showing off a little bit. Like I <laughs> I I would... I would film basically everything like V five or six and up and film every try. And I really wanted to look good on Instagram, Mm -hmm. which maybe isn't the greatest motivation, but (laughs) it worked. Like I, I would climb something and if it was a little sloppy, I would think, ah, I can do that better. I'm not going to post it this week. I'm going to climb it even better next week, or I'm going to climb it again this session and try to climb it perfectly. And, you know, Filming your your session and then reviewing it in the evening is great, but I think there's even more value in taking your climbing shoes off, sitting down, and taking a minute to review that go, yep. and then bringing that information to your next try. That's such a quick feedback loop, yep. and you get so much learning out of, out of going through that cycle a few times in a session.
1: Yeah, immediate feedback, immediate and accurate feedback, so super important for skill training. Uh, random aside, the image crafting thing is funny to me because, you know, I have like a, I have like my YouTube with tons of uncut footage from like, whatever, the last 14 years or something. Mm -hmm. And over the years, I have realized like, stuff I'm climbing in my home area is usually like really crisp. Like the, the camera's in a good spot it's like well framed the boulder looks nice my technique is like on point and like really dialed you know like if I'm gonna climb like busted in Leavenworth for my mm-hmm. channel I'm gonna like climb it really well because I've done it like a hundred times or whatever this is a classic v8 for
0: people listening yeah
1: yeah um but like when I like I'm down here in Waco and I'm still posting tons of stuff to my channel but it's all like like scrappy flash attempts, (laughs) you know, and the camera's like set up behind a yucca, (laughs) you know, like the yuccas in the foreground and I'm like cutting my feet in the background. (laughs) It's funny how that'll like mess with the, um, your own self perception of how good your technique is just whether or not you have energy to like correct it, you know? Cause I walk away from a lot of these things being like, cool, I tried hard, but that was like touch and go, Mm. you know, whereas at home, I'm like, no, I'll just do it better next week and like film that try (laughs) you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right, that, right. that plays into your ego for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Those are, those are good, good tips.
0: Do you feel, I, I'm curious though, cause I, I wonder, that's making me wonder this for myself, having that collection of really crisp, really good movement, like proof of that. Does that help your confidence? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Cause I feel that for me too, like having that chapter of my, in, in my garage for that winter and being able to go back and look at those videos and then having a film that I made, about that Bishop trip. Yep. Um, a Weekend Bishop. I'll link to it in the show notes for people. It's a classic. <laughs> that Stone Cold classic. <laughs> I think I saw
1: it on uh, Turner Classic Movies once. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, it, it, that, yeah, I can go revisit that and get some of the confidence from from th- kind of putting myself back in that time. And it's
1: yeah. kind of cool. You know, I, I what's funny is like, I don't know if this is if this happened on purpose or i like manifested it out of the universe but i posted an instagram story to that effect literally like 45 minutes ago whoa uh because tomorrow we're heading out to try like a project on a tour that i want to try and i'm like trying to psych myself up because i don't feel strong enough you know and i like what i want to like feel confident and so i like go to my youtube and i look for like powerful, badass stuff that I've done and I watch it and I'm like, oh, look at that. Look at that guy go. Like that guy's strong, damn. And I come out of that, you know, i just do that for like five minutes, watch like three or four videos. I come out of that feeling like better about my climbing. Wow. For sure. It's, yeah, we but we tend to believe the things we tell ourselves, right? So if you feed the system a lot of doubt, the system is going to be doubtful. Mm. And if you feed the system a lot of like, you know, it's like affirmations basically in video, climbing video form.
0: Yeah. Nice. So what did you just post on your Instagram?
1: It was a story that said literally like, because I was watching these videos and I was like, maybe this is interesting to my audience. So I said like, part of the reason I have all these videos is because I go back and watch them to get myself psyched up Mm. to like make myself believe that I'm strong climber.
0: Nice. So great. And we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. It contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio of sodium, potassium, and magnesium, with none of the weird stuff you often find in electrolyte drinks. That means no sugar, no artificial ingredients, no food coloring, no fillers, no BS. Electrolytes facilitate hundreds of functions in the body including hormonal regulation, nutrient absorption, and fluid balance. They are critically important and taking just one packet of element per day can help prevent things like headaches, muscle cramps, fatigue, sleeplessness, and other common symptoms of electrolyte deficiency. And if you are an athlete who drinks alcohol on occasion, it can even help prevent hangovers. I'm going to tell you a little story. I was training in Estes Park last summer and I got invited to a little get together with friends. I knew people would be drinking. So I put a packet of mango chili element in a water bottle with a couple ounces of tequila and a liter of water and some crushed ice. And it was delicious. I sipped on it throughout the entire evening. I had a great time And I felt great the next day. It was like having a mango chili margarita that automatically prevented a hangover. It was amazing. Right now, Element is offering you guys, my dear listeners, a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single serving packets free with any order of Element. That's a great way to try all eight flavors or to share Element with a friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash nugget. This deal is only available through my link. So again, go to drinkelement.com slash nugget to get a free sample pack with any purchase. drinkelement.com slash nugget. And now back to the show. Whose turn is it? Um, I think it's yours. I have, I only have one more tip left. Uh, okay. I have so many that I
1: have to like scroll around <laughs> to see what I have here. <laughs> I guess I have, okay, that's good. Cause I have, I have two. So I'll do a short one. Um, I got a couple tips today from, from, from Kim or one for this one and one for a different podcast from Kim. So this is, this is a Kim tip. Thanks Kim. My fiance. Thanks Kim. Um, speak the language. So when you're talking about what to do with other people, it's really important that you understand the concepts. And that's just as true with like basic movement as it is with complex movement. Um, probably my favorite example of this is flag, inside flag, outside flag, front flag, back flag. Mm. Right. And I've even heard people say side flag <laughs> and there are clearly not that many types of flags, mm-hmm. but if you, I've posted polls about this on my Instagram before, just to see who agrees on what's what and like people are very divided i don't know if it's like an american or british thing or what but um make sure you know what another example would be um backstep right that means different things to different people Hmm. amazingly means one thing to me front step some people say front step which i consider just using a (laughs) foothold right
0: um i could see like edging versus towing in yeah yeah Yeah. So yeah, things like
1: that. So I I guess that's a good example is like, I'm not sure if there's really a Bible for those things. Maybe there is one, I guess there's John Kettle's book, which is pretty fantastic. If you care about this topic, Hmm. rock climbing technique. I can't remember if he talks about that stuff in there. Um, but at any rate, if you're discussing it with somebody, you might as well make sure you're talking about the same thing, you know? And if somebody's recommending something to you or they're saying like, you need to like backstep there or you need to like, you know, get your hips in or whatever you need to square up. You know, make sure you understand what they're saying, right? Because that communication is pretty important to your ability to improve your skills. Mm-hmm. So speak the language. Yeah. Be willing to say, can you tell me what you mean by that? <laughs> right. It's, it helps yeah. to like put a name on the thing that you're trying to improve.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. Too. That's great. Okay. My last tip for how to improve your climbing technique is to do the one and two star climbs at your home crag. Um, I think there's a tremendous amount of value in once you've, once you've done the classics, um, once you get a little bored or you're projecting a lot, just get out of your comfort zone, explore and do some of those scrappy one and two star climbs that don't get climbed as often. I think I I was thinking about this for, in, in a couple, through a couple different lenses, I guess or it's, or it's helpful for a couple of reasons. First is that you're just gonna expose yourself to a lot more moves if you don't eliminate those climbs from your, you know, from your potential tick list. But then I think more importantly is that the one and two star climbs usually feel a little nasty. Um, the classics are classics because they tend to flow well. They be, mm-hmm. they're like more type one fun. They're intuitive. More, yeah, they're more intuitive. They're more enjoyable to climb. And rock climbing is not always like that. And even some of the best climbs in the world are not, not every part of those climbs are like that. There's always a move. There's always something that makes a climb nasty, especially if it's something hard for you. And so doing the one and two star climbs, you build the, it is a technique. It's, it's almost more of like a mental skill, but I, I guess that's the same thing of being able to execute something that doesn't feel quite right. Um, mm-hmm. Being able to climb something well, even though it doesn't naturally feel flowy, and and um, yeah, I don't know. It's almost like forcing something kind of gross to be graceful and yeah. and fluid. Um, and that can happen on boulders. That can happen at your sport crag. Whatever. Um, that can even happen on the moonboard, totally, <laughs> or in the gym. But anywhere. Yeah, I think there's a lot of value in that. Uh,
1: I have two immediate things that that makes me think of, which number one, just a general thing is if you're, if you feel yourself getting frustrated about your movement or about like not being able to connect with a hold or connect with a sequence or whatever, that frustration is usually a sign that there's some room for improvement. Mm. Right. And I, it's going to totally vary climber to climber on how, how frustrated you get while you're climbing, like how good your emotional control is and stuff. Um, but if you're consistently frustrated with the same kind of move, that's, along with the whole like filming yourself thing, that's another way you could maybe detect something that you're not as good at. And I think that one and two star climbs just tend to be more frustrating. Mm-hmm. They just tend to be more confounding, right? Mm. The second thing that made me think of is there's a an analog to this, which is if you have a spray wall or you climb on a spray wall to climb the like ones that are like much less popular or less well-known and maybe have people who are not super experienced at the grade or not super experienced at um, like climbing hard on a spray wall, set problems for you. Mm. Some of the most satisfying projects I've ever had on my board were things that were set by people who did not even, could not even touch that grade. And they mm. were just like, here's a bunch of holds. You know what I mean? And I, I had to like digest a way through them kind of. Mm. Um, and uh, same process as the one and two star climbs, right? It's just totally confounding at first and like puzzling. Mm-hmm. But it really taxes you in a different way. Whereas when I set the climbs that are at my level, I'm like, oh, it'd be really ergo. And like, I could do this huge move because it's super comfortable, you know, mm-hmm. but that doesn't really like pressure you the same. It's just physically hard.
0: Yeah. that's You touched on something great there, which is, I didn't really even think about it from this, through through this lens or from this angle, but those... I can think of a lot of experiences that I've had on crappy climbs, like objectively not that fun climbs that were some of the most rewarding experiences mm-hmm. I've had because um, you know, feeling like you're climbing well on something that initially feels really gross and nasty and uncomfortable is tremendously satisfying. yeah, it, it's like you rose beyond the the the, the climb in some way. Um, yeah yeah i'm I'm a cool feeling. This is different for everybody and
1: I don't I don't think it's like better one way or the other, but I'm personally way more satisfied by going up to something that doesn't have a lot of chalk on it or maybe has chalk on it, but I've like never heard of it before and nobody in my group has beta and finding a way through it, even if it's like, you know, relatively speaking easier for me, like V7 or something, that's more satisfying to me than going up to like a nine or a 10 that I've seen a hundred videos of and just doing the same beta that everybody else does. Mm. That's like a different kind of satisfying. Mm-hmm. But the the intellectual satisfac- satisfaction is like, I think it's better. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Cr- yeah, it, it's so it's so great. I mean, that's what I love about climbing is that we can have both of those challenges totally. as, and so many more. Totally.
1: Yeah, I've I've gotten a lot of mileage on this trip of uh like when we're out with a guide, just being like, take me to like a moderate that I've never heard of. Mm. Like guides love that. Nice. The guides in Waco, and then I get to just.
0: That's like, a great question. Thing? Yeah, that's it's a great. So, it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nice.
1: Um so I have one more tip, okay? Uh my last tip is flexibility versus technique. I guess this is probably a little bit more um nuanced, but um these are two things that I hear discussed very separately sometimes, um or conflated even. So it could be both ways. Um they're both skills. I think that's important to recognize. Like technique, your climbing technique is a skill. Your flexibility is a skill and they, they have a high degree of overlap. So you need to practice your total flexibility, you need to practice your climbing skill, and you also need to practice your flexibility in the context of mm-hmm. your flexibility being a climbing skill. Mm. And I hope you're still with me after that. <laughs> um, so like there's, there's climbers out there who have relatively average flexibility if you, ha- if you like ran them through a, a panel of tests, right? But on the wall, they can express that flexibility really well and that allows them to like get their hips really close to the wall or like extend their arm overhead on a steep wall really effectively even if they like can't even if they don't look superb in that panel they still have really really good use of it on the wall and that makes their climbing technique go further Mm. right um it just makes all the moves easier so i think it's important to kind of think about if you're into training your flexibility which i really hope you are um to think about training it on the wall some too Mm. The same as like we were, we would talk about drilling your heel hooks or drilling, you know, like twisting your hip on a steep wall or whatever. Like you, there are ways to drill flexibility patterns by like working a little bit closer and closer to your end range. So um, I guess like a really obvious example would be, I don't really work on my middle splits, but if I was going to do like a block of training my middle split or my box split or whatever you want to call it, then I would after that do a, a block of climbing on my board with my feet like, double shoulder width or something and like Mm. laddering up the board like that. Mm -hmm. Right. To like take that pattern that I've worked on and ingrain it on the wall. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully I would go out and already have a project or find a project where that was something that I needed to do to try to like put some intensity on it, you know? So yeah, that's great. Just, um, don't let those things be like totally separate concepts. Make sure to like bring them together.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean that, I feel like the same thing is true with strength. Like anytime you mm-hmm. have a level up in strength, you then have to learn new techniques to be able to really yeah. express it. Strength, also a skill. Um, also a skill, exactly. Yeah. Um, can I share a, a, my own example that just came up for the flexibility thing? Yeah. This, uh, <laughs> I wonder if he's listening. Um, I met this guy in the gym in Wenatchee, actually, when I was back climbing in Leavenworth one season a couple years ago. His name's Kerwin, I think. And you know, muscular guy about my same size. And I was so impressed with his flexibility on the wall. We were mm. just bouldering around in the gym and he was trying a problem and like basically did the splits mm. on like an overhanging 45 degree wall doing this problem. And I was like, damn, dude, like how have you developed your flexibility? That's so impressive. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've, I've really been working on it um, for the last couple of years. You know, my, I think, I think maybe his partner was a yoga enthusiast or teacher and had helped him, but also he had been training for the free rider or some LCAP Cap route and set up like a a stemming simulator mm. in the gym where he had like an open book part of the gym where two walls met and they're like, you know, 140 degrees open. Mm-hmm. And the root setters let him put a bunch of tiny little foot chips on both parts of the wall and he would just stand in the corner and do like wider and wider stemming splits yeah. basically and really use active hip opening and, and hip mobility in a climbing context. And for him, that was like a total game changer. Yeah. So super interesting.
1: Uh, I mean, I've, I, I think it's fair to say I have like above average flexibility and I've always done like passive stretching, but I didn't really start training my flexibility until the last like maybe five years. So all the gains that I made before that, I think were just from, being very aggressive about using my flexibility on the climbing wall mm-hmm. in a way that I think a lot of people aren't. I wasn't afraid to be like, this is at my end range, but I'm going to like keep putting my foot up here session after session. And then eventually I do the boulder that way. Mm. And I think that helped me get more flexible. Like climbing is a fucking great way to get more flexible. Yeah. It's just as good as yoga for sure. <laughs> Which is great
0: news because I really hate stretching. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Well, uh, I don't want to get in the weeds. Um, I think we're, are we
0: through, are we done with tips? Yeah. Cool. Pitfalls. On to pitfalls. Um, is it my turn? How many do you have? I have three. Okay. It's your, it's your podcast. podcast. It's your podcast. I know, but this is a team <laughs> effort, Jesse. Okay, I'll share I'll share my first pitfall. This might seem really obvious, but I think it's worth saying. Pitfall number one is assuming you've learned everything there is to learn. Hmm. Or and or thinking you have good technique because you are good at one style of climbing, and a very specific example comes to mind for me when I share that, and that comes from my time at Smith Rock. And um, Smith is a very technical area. For the most part, it's relatively one-dimensional. It's you know it's never very steep. It's usually vertical or just off vertical small holds, standing on small holds, lots of balance, lots of delicacy. And I've seen some climbers who climb very well at at Smith um, seem to think that they have good technique because they can stand on small Mm footholds. And they do, Mm -hmm. but they have very good technique at that style. And there's so many ways to have good technique in climbing and being good at standing on small small footholds is only one you know, chapter of the book or one volume of the encyclopedia. There's so much more, Um, you know, like I was talking about all the stuff I'm working on now with steep climbing. That's, that's in large part because I spent so many years at Smith, Um, you know, learning how to use momentum in a really efficient way. That's something that I really had to work on when I, when I stopped climbing at Smith or in as an adjunct when I was living at Smith because Smith's so slow and controlled, so, you know, there's a lot of different versions of that. You could have the exact opposite person who's super good at roof climbing and all those tricks and doesn't know how to stand on a tiny little foot chip, mm-hmm. Um, doesn't know how to climb in stiff shoes, things like that. That's me, <laughs> <laughs> Right. And so th- there's kind of a larger conversation here that you can have with yourself about what do you want to do with your sh- climbing? Like mm-hmm. what kind of climber do you want to be? And if you want to be a specialist at the exclusion of other skills, that's totally fine. That's absolutely fine. But I think there is, there's a ton of value in keeping an open mind and realizing that there's a lot more skills to learn than whatever you've become a master at in your, in your style.
1: Yeah. It's such a good, it's such a good general point that like elite performers tend to be really, really good at knowing what they're good at and being honest with themselves about it. Mm. And like slightly lower level performers tend to have a harder time seeing that as clearly, I think. Mm. So that's a great, great pitfall. Um, what should I do? I guess uh, I'll jump in at at this one, which is things looking good and actually being good technique are two different things. Mm. So some sequences are are, are efficient, but they look like shit. Some sequences are inefficient, but they look really cool. And then mm. some sequences are efficient and, uh, and like also beautiful. And I think those are independent. Um, and I think that's kind of like a, I don't know if that's a hot take or like a modern, more modern take. Cause I think for a long time, the assumption has been that like, if it's prettier, it's better technique, but like sometimes when I try to climb my prettiest, I'm actually like using a shitload of energy.
0: Right? Yeah. That's, I mean, you're, that's my background, honestly, mm-hmm, is kind of climbing slothy. everything really slothy and controlled and locked yeah. off. And Sometimes that's way less efficient than using momentum.
1: Yeah. A whole bunch of times consulting with people and and working with my clients, like they're trying to send something and they're like, I just don't know what to do. Like my beta seems like it's right and everything. And I've just been like, you need to cut your time under tension. You need to like be climbing this like five seconds faster and you'll get Mm. through that last move. And that winds up being good. Even if it's a little sloppier. Yeah. Time under tension is like, is a killer when you're like hanging on by your fingertips, which is what we do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, um, a couple examples to put that point to put a finer point on that. Um, like cutting your feet is often perceived as bad, but it's still good technique if the situation demands it. Mm. Um, like it's fine to cut your feet, but you need to know how to cut your feet. So I don't want to go too far into the weeds, but like a lot of the time when you're cutting your feet, you need to actually kind of like jump into it a little bit in order to like conserve energy and like absorb some of that swing, right? Versus like your feet popping off suddenly and you needing to like pull up during the movement, Mm. right? There's like, there's a sound way to do things that are considered bad technique. I hear you. Same as like campusing is good technique, assuming that you like have the horsepower for it. And it's gonna offset some other demand of the climb, such as the time under tension, right? Mm. So, like if it if it gets you through like a long, difficult body tension sequence, and you can like you're strong enough to campus a move, well, then that's good technique for you. Mm-hmm. It might not be good technique for me
0: because I have small arms, <laughs> but it might be good
1: technique for somebody
0: else. <laughs> right. That that immediately makes me think of uh, Burden of Dreams, Nolly doing the first ascent of that V17, like first V17 in the world. And when he would do the last move and then swing back in, he had to like dino to stick the last hold. Um, His feet would fly off. And then when they came back in, he would try to get his feet on and then match and then Mm -hmm. top out. Mm -hmm. Um, But he learned that every so often when he would try to kick his foot back on, he'd have a really hard time sticking the foothold and it would pop off again. So he had to learn how to campus the last section before the top out. And then on this end, that's what happened. He like, you see him swing back in, he tries to get his foot on, It stays for a split second. Then it pops. Then he's like, fuck it. And he campuses and then he tops out and sends the boulder.
1: Yeah. Um, I remember when that came, watching that with a friend when it came out and being like, I can't fucking believe that the, the boulder bro stereotype of like his foot pops on the send and he campuses the move instead happened on the world's first V17. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so amazing to me. And it's, and it's like standing the test of time. Right. So yeah, yeah, it says a
0: lot about, about actually how incredible Nali is. Um, Yeah. What's your next pitfall? Um, I already talked about this one a little bit because it's tied to one of my tips. But my second pitfall is going through the motions. Mm. Um again, that ties back to intent. I think intent is kind of the king thing for me, although maybe you've maybe you've convinced me that it's creativity. Um, (laughs) But I think intent in your climbing, if you want to get better at climbing, if you want to move better develop better technique it's all about bringing intention and focus to what you're doing and it's so easy to go through the motions um i do it a lot especially nowadays i feel i feel more my 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 mental energy my attention feels more divided between you know the podcast and and climbing so there are days where i'm like sneaking out to get a session in and my brain's still stuck on something else you know Mm Um, those aren't the days where I learned something really valuable. So yeah. Um I think going through the motions is is really common. Just because you sent something doesn't mean that you learned from it. Just because you can do a move doesn't mean you're doing it well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's great. Sending is pass fail. Don't forget that. Mm -hmm. You wanna you wanna get a an actual like number grade if you can. So you that's why you need the video and the feedback. Oh, that's
0: great. Okay. I was like, pass fail aren't you making the opposite point that I'm no, I,
1: I hear what you're saying <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah you want as much feedback as possible not just like yes or no mm. um, that's great my next pitfall is this is actually kind of kind of on the other end of the spectrum from that one but don't become a robot so training your skills is an important part of a balanced diet I think you can do it within the context of just climbing outside, you don't have to like do drills or anything, uh, but I think everybody should be focusing on their skills in some way, one, one way or another. Um, but it it should never become like most of your climbing time. Mm-hmm. I think most of your climbing time should still be focusing on your climbing. So like when you were talking about perfect repeats earlier, you will get technical gains from that and it does count as some skill practice, but I still think most of what you're doing is like working on your, your red point habits and your visualization you know, and you're getting the physical element out of it. So there's a lot more happening than just like I'm drilling my hip twist Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And something that I've seen with like a certain breed of climber or certain like type of brain is they want to just turn everything into a skill drill, you know, or they're going to like go try something once. And then they're like, oh shit, I like need to work on my drop knees. And they're going to like go to the gym and drop knee, like session after session and practice and practice and practice. Right. And then they're going to do that for a month and they're going to go back out to their project and they're not going to be any better than they were because what they needed to be doing with that time was like actually trying the project some too, mm. you know, like splitting their time. So like, I don't know what the percentage is, but you know, don't let your technical practice become like the bulk of your climbing practice. Mm. Right. It should mm-hmm. be some amount of it. And if that amount is higher in the off season, that's probably good, but it shouldn't be like most of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or, it's okay if it's most of it in the context of other things being worked on too not mm-hmm. like purely drilling a technique yeah if that makes sense
0: yeah the yeah. balance is key
1: yeah basically if you don't if you don't work on the sequencing and the tactics and the mindset and all that other stuff then having good technique won't mean shit
0: mm. yeah that's great okay pitfall number 3 for me <clears throat> is expecting gym technique to transfer to outdoor climbing and I have some thoughts on this one because not everyone has access to outdoor climbing whenever they want to go climbing. And um, so, yeah, there's a few points to hit on here. Um, But this goes back to having the circuits outdoors, you know, as much as you can, if you do have a home area, really do some perfect repeats and some technique practice outside on rock. I think that is tremendously valuable and it's, It's just a different set of skills than even working on technical slab boulders in the gym or things that we perceive as technical in the gym. The foothold size is always so different Um, for the the vast majority of outdoor climbing, not all areas, but that's generally true. Holds are less uniform. There's so many little things. Mm -hmm. So I think climbing outside for technique practice is critical for getting the best out of your outdoor technique, if you don't have access to outdoor climbing, um, something that is really helpful and is changing a little bit, um, you know, thanks to people like Chris Hampton with his little micro footholds that he's making with Power Company. Just try to get your hands on some tiny, tiny little screw-on footholds and set those. You know, if if you have a spray wall in your gym, ask the staff, ask the root setters if you can add those. Um, discreetly in between other holds and things and really mm-hmm. put some intentional practice time into using very very small or irregular little foot chips that you can't cheat on by just smearing on the blob of yeah. the of the hold this is
1: this is related to that but if you really are limited on what you have access to you can always it's not the same as having like an inductor those feet that you mentioned and having to like maintain the edge posture without towing in so hard that you push your foothold off or push your foot off the foothold it's not as good as that but you can you can still practice that intent on your footwork by just towing in on the edge of bigger Mm footholds and you will still get a lot of the same thing out of it same goes for if you're trying to work on like your high angle crimping and you don't have enough small holds on a spray wall you can just crimp the edge of bigger holds, mm. right? It sounds, it seems so obvious, but actually like getting yourself to do that in the gym, I think it's good practice mm-hmm. because something, this is unrelated I think to the topic of the podcast, but something that a lot of people struggle with coming from the gym to climbing outside is that a lot of the time outside, you don't, it, it's not a matter of how it feels best. It's a matter of how it actually works best to like grab the holds and stand on the footholds. Mm. So sometimes you you have a huge hold it's like a big edge but actually you'd want to hold the shallowest part of it because that's like where the friction is best mm, and getting yourself yeah. to learn those kind of things climbing outside is really important so practicing that kind of stuff in the gym by like not hogging the foothold is actually can be valuable if you're limited mm.
0: so. well, that's great I, yeah i've i've come across this so many times where the best way to hold a hold as far as like actually doing the move and sending the climb is like way more painful than the comfiest way to grab the yeah. hold, you know, as another example. Yeah. Maybe even like more skin taxing or, or something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's just like,
0: you know, can you grab the hold as a pinch
1: and keep it as a pinch through the whole sequence, moving your feet and doing the next move? Or do you grab it as a pinch and then as soon as you look away and like start moving your feet, your hand's like, poop, I'm open now. Mm. You know, that's something that I notice a lot with uh, climbers who are like, cl- not climbing outside, not new to climbing outside, but you know, intermediate, I'd say, level. Um, nice. I think I have one more. Yeah, I have, I have one more pitfall. Um, this one's hard to characterize, I guess, but I guess I would say the pitfall is not understanding whether you're good at something because you have practiced it or because you like practicing it. So we all have our superpowers, And I think knowing the source of that superpower is really helpful. Mm. Like, are you good at this thing because you've put the time in and you've become good at it? Or are you good at it because you're just naturally good at that thing and you like doing it? So you just like gravitate towards that type of problem. And I guess another way to think about this is that is like, don't forget to train your technique in your strong areas, Mm. which is kind of related to something that you said earlier. Um, Yeah, don't assume that you're automatically going to have the superpower that you have now forever, mm. right? Like you need to put the time in, even on the stuff that you're good at. And again, till like I go back to my hip flexibility, I know it's my superpower, but I also know that if I stop training it, it will start to slip. Mm. Even if I am naturally good at it, I'm right now, I'm both naturally good at it and I'm training it. And I'm, and so I'm like best of both worlds, right? If I stop training it, then I'll only be naturally good. And that's not as good as being naturally good and also having it trained. Totally. Um, mm-hmm. And the same thing goes for your weaknesses, but it's obviously you know,
0: the pitfall is not doing it for your strong areas. Well, that's gr- that's a perfect one for you to end on because my last one, my last pitfall is avoiding the things that you're bad at and turning everything nice. into your style. So nice. that's the other side of the coin. As we do more of these, I'm getting better at predicting which ones you're going <laughs> to do and not taking them. <laughs> we are, we have an uncanny ability to coordinate yeah, without yeah. coordinating. Solid. Um, <laughs> or complimenting each other without coordinating. Yeah, so that's that is a big pitfall avoiding things that you're bad at is so common um it's vulnerable makes you feel bad about yourself (laughs) it's embarrassing or it it, you we perceive it as embarrassing even though no one else gives a shit and or turning everything into your style that might even be more common is you know like thinking that you're climbing in a wide variety of styles and exposing yourself to lots of different things but actually you're just turning everything into your style um and some degree of that is totally normal, common, makes sense, do it, you know, milk your superpowers for all they're worth. That's just smart. But the classic example that comes to mind is like the gym bro who's super strong and can crush all the steep boulders and then goes and does all the slabs, but just dinos through all the slabs and doesn't actually learn anything from them. Um, you know, maybe the opposite is like knee barring your way through all the powerful climbs or something. Um, That's fine if you're really good at knee bars and that's how you get around a weakness, that's okay, but also dedicate some time to trying powerful things because that's gonna make you better. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with knee
1: barring your way through climbs as long as you are not worried about the climb that you can't knee bar your way through. As soon as you have one (laughs) you can't knee bar your way through and you wanna do it, it's a serious
0: problem. Right, right, right. (laughs) So again, this, this ties back into like, what do you value as a climber? If you just want to focus on one type of climbing that you love, that's great. That's fine. But I do think that's a common pitfall when it comes to improving technique.
1: It's funny that the more of these we do, the more it becomes obvious that like your intent and your openness and your values like drive everything else, Mm. right? Like it's, that's the through line of, mm-hmm. of all of these tips that we're making. So I hope that you guys are taking that away from us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. What's your, what's your number one tip that you want to leave people with?
1: Uh, my number one tip for improving your technique is
0: to be endlessly curious about how you're moving on the wall. Did I steal yours? No, that's great. And <laughs> mine is... My number one tip if you want to get better at climbing and technique is to become very interested in climbing better and to bring that intention into your climbing so i think those things are same but different complement each other really well yep. and if you do those two, th- two things you're you're gonna be well on your way yeah you're on the path all right hope that was helpful thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time goodbye friends <laughs>